Every Tuesday afternoon at this church, there's a meeting. A group of us get around a big, long table, and we talk about our Sunday services. We take a look at the last week, and we talk about how that went, and then we look forward to the next week, and we kind of plan the service and how it's going to go. And if we're really on point, we look forward to a couple weeks out from there. And these Tuesday meetings pretty much go the same way every week, but every now and then there's a special one. And you know it's a special meeting when Danny walks in with a sheet of paper. When Danny walks in with a sheet of paper, we all know that he's cooked up the next sermon series. And we better get ready because we're going to have to think. So a couple of months ago, that's exactly what happened. We're all sitting around the table. We're talking, kind of getting ready for the meeting. And the door opens. Danny walks in. He sits down at the head of the table. And he starts passing out sheets of paper. And he passes out these sheets of paper. And we all get one. And it's got dates on it. And it's got all these verses. And he starts talking to us about this series. He wants to do a a series on our favorite verses from the Bible. And he's looked up some popular verses, and he wants to do a poll with our congregation, and he wants to kind of figure out which ones of these verses we're going to talk about. And so we start talking about this series, and as we're doing that, the, the conversation kind of morphs into us talking about our favorites. And we're kind of going around, and everybody's talking about what their favorite things are. And we've kind of seen that over the last couple weeks, people talking about how My favorite thing to do is to spend time with my family. Or we watch this video and it's like, my favorite thing to do is to dance. It's this expression of what God's put in my heart. Or it's it's these memories that I have with my father. Or I really just love to serve. And I'm hearing all of these kind of things come up in these conversations about favorite things. And I'm sitting next to Michael Adler, who I'm sure is about to pipe up and be like, well, my favorite thing is just to lift sweet melodies to the Lord. And all these people, they're talking about these kind of high and lofty favorite things. And I feel all this pressure because all I can think about is candy. (laughs) I love candy. And if you know me for very long, you know that that's one of my very favorite things. And I don't know when candy came into my life, but I know it's never been the same. I don't know when I first reached my hand into a bag of gummy bears, but every road trip I've taken has been different. I don't know when I first tasted gummy worms, but I've never studied the same since. And for me, my favorite candy has always been Skittles. Skittles is the perfect candy. You can buy bags of Skittles that are so big that you can never reach the end of them. So you can eat as many as you want or as few as you want. You can have a couple. You can eat until your heart's content. But interestingly, I love the way Skittles taste, but the flavor of Skittles is not really my favorite thing about them. My favorite thing about Skittles is the way they sound. So imagine this with me. Let's just all experience this together. You're at a party. You're in somebody's house that's much bigger than yours. And you're all having conversations. You're talking to people. And you've gotten cornered. You're stuck in a corner with somebody that you really don't want to be talking to. And so as they're talking to you, your mind just kind of starts to wonder. And you're listening to all the sounds that are happening around you. And somewhere... In the corner of your mind, you hear this sound. That is the sound of pure joy. If I am at a party and I'm in a conversation with somebody that I don't really want to be talking to and I hear that noise coming from the corner of the house, I spring into action mode because I know somewhere in this house there are free Skittles and I can have as many of them as I want. We all have those kind of things, those, those favorite flavors, those favorite candies. And for you, it may not be candy. It may not be a candy bar. It might be 
your favorite flavor of chips or favorite restaurant or favorite meal. But there's something that we always keep returning to. It's that thing that you're grocery shopping for something completely different, yet you pass it in the aisle and you just kind of have to pick it up. And why is that? Why is it that you check out in the aisle and you turn around and there's 45 varieties of candy bar, but you pick up the same one every single time? I think it comes down to familiarity. That when we return to the same flavors over and over and over again, there's a familiarity there because we've experienced them in our past. There was a moment where we tasted those flavors and we enjoyed that. And we want to experience that again. I think the same thing is true of these verses of Scripture that we're looking at. There's a familiarity there. There's something that happened in our past where we experienced those words, where we were struggling with something and these words ministered to us, where we didn't know how we were going to make it much further and these words strengthened us. And there's a familiarity in our past that we want to experience again. And so we return to these verses over and over and over again. But the problem with familiarity is that I can get halfway through a bag of Skittles before I even realize what I'm doing. And the same thing is true of these verses that we're looking at. We've returned to them so often in our lives that many times we forget to think about them. We've heard them before. We kind of have a meaning for them kind of placed in our life. And so when we read them, we just kind of power straight through them and we forget to ask ourselves questions about them. We forget to ask, who's saying this and why are they saying it? Who are they saying it to? And what function does this this verse serve in Scripture? The verse we're going to look at this morning is extremely familiar. It's Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. And that, I don't know, that reference may not ring a bell, But when you hear these words, it will be familiar. This is Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That verse is one of the most encouraging things I've ever heard. It's, it's, almost, it's borderline ridiculous how encouraging this is. I mean, Isaiah is talking about mounting up on wings like eagles. Like, I'm waiting for R. Kelly. It's, I believe I can fly. Like, this is coming in. This verse is so encouraging. But a lot of times we forget to ask ourselves the question, why? Why is this here? This verse isn't just here to encourage us through our Monday afternoon. This kind of encouragement doesn't just come because somebody is struggling through their work day. This kind of encouragement is born out of despair. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're not just going to look at this one verse, we're going to kind of look at this entire moment in Scripture and talk about why Isaiah is saying this. And here's the incredible thing. This is what I love about Scripture. See, we think that as we kind of reach into history and ask questions about the past and go further and further into the past, as we, we, we think that as we ask questions about Scripture like that, that Scripture will kind of get more distant from us. As we identify Scripture in its original context, we think it'll kind of get further from us. But the incredible thing about the Bible is that the more we understand it in its context, the closer it gets to our souls. 
And that what, when we understand what God is saying to them, we start to understand what God is saying to us. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at kind of why Isaiah, who was a real guy, said these words to real, actual people. So we're going to back up to verse 27 and start there. This is who Isaiah is talking to. This is what he says. He starts with a question. He says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Do you hear that? Isaiah is speaking to a people that are distressed. They're saying, My way is is hidden from the Lord. And my right has been disregarded by my God. At this point in history, the kingdom of Israel is not a united nation. They've split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And at this, at this moment, the northern kingdom has been completely ravaged by the Assyrians. This other nation, Assyria, has come in and conquered them. And they've burned villages, they've leveled cities, they've separated families. Children have watched their parents leave for the last time. And parents have seen their children for the last moment. This is happening in the northern kingdom, and the southern kingdom is is kind of looking on, not realizing that soon they're going to be staring down the barrel of the Babylonians, and the exact same thing is going to happen to them. And these people are are looking around at their circumstances and they're literally watching their world crumble. They're watching their world fall apart. And the emotion that wells up within them is Isaiah 40, 27. My way is hidden from the Lord. These people are looking at their life fall apart and they're thinking, they're feeling like God can't even see them. And embedded in that emotion is the understanding that they think God can't see this because if God could see what was happening in my life, he would do something about this. If God could actually see what's happening, things would really change. But they feel like their way, their life, their circumstances have somehow been hidden from the Lord and he can't see them. They say, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right has been disregarded by my God. That word that we translate as right, or some translations have like cause or, or case or those kind of things, it's, it's really the same word that we translate all throughout the Old Testament as justice. And what they're saying is that they don't believe that God is being just in their situation. If they have a case, they have a situation, and God is really the only person who can do something about it, and he's doing nothing. They're really looking at God, and they're saying, you're not doing your job. What they're thinking is that it's like God is a judge, and a judge is sitting at his desk, and all day long, cases come across his desk. And he opens them, and he reads them, and he decides one way or the other, one way or the other. The cases come across his desk all day long, and then here comes their case, and he doesn't even open the file. He just sweeps it off his desk and doesn't even look at it. That's how they feel. That their right, that their correctly judged case has been disregarded by their God. 
They feel like God can't see them. They feel like God can't hear them. And that sometimes it even feels like God doesn't even care. And here's the incredible thing. These people that Isaiah is speaking to thousands and thousands of years ago are experiencing the exact same emotion that we carry with us every day. We've been there. We are experiencing that. If we're not in this moment, we will all be there again. Where the things in our life start to fall to pieces and the emotion that wells up within us is God somehow cannot see what's happening in my life. My, my right has been disregarded by my God. I don't understand why God seems to be working in their life, but he doesn't really care what's happening in mine because everything is falling apart. She tells me that she doesn't love me anymore. I did everything I could, but he's still leaving. I find out that my friends are talking about me behind my back. I don't feel like my children will ever respect me. My parents will never understand me. I failed the test. I don't get what I needed to get on the test. I don't get in. I get kicked out. The investments fall through. The car breaks down again. There's not enough money in the bank account. There never seemed like there was ever enough money on the paycheck. And things in my life just feel like they're crumbling around me. And what wells up in my soul is this feeling that God can't see me. That somehow my way and my life has been hidden from the Lord. And my right has been disregarded by my God. God can't see me. He doesn't hear me. Sometimes it feels like he doesn't even care. Those are the people that Isaiah is speaking to. Listen to what he says. So starting in verse 28, he asks them another question. This is what Isaiah says to those people who feel that way. He says, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah says that to people who feel like God can't see them to people who are experiencing such terrible circumstances that they feel like they have been completely disregarded by their God. But look back at that. What does he tell them about? Does he talk to them about their circumstances? He doesn't even mention them. He simply talks to them about their God. He says God is everlasting. He's the one who created everything we see. He doesn't faint or grow weary. He never gets tired. His understanding is unsearchable. You have no idea how much God knows. He says he's the one who is the source of all power and all strength, and he strengthens those who need strengthening. Isaiah doesn't 
talk about their circumstances. He simply points to their God. And he hinges all these characteristics on God, of God on that first one, that the Lord is the everlasting God. Think about that. The Lord is the everlasting God. Let's just stop for a minute and just kind of cut through all the church. We're all here together. And, you know, we all say, yeah, the Lord's everlasting. But think about what that means. Our God lasts forever. Our God will outlast everything. And what's incredible is that where we stand in history, we see something that the people that Isaiah was talking to didn't even understand yet. And that is this, that if if the Lord is lifted up as everlasting, as lasting throughout all of history, what Isaiah is saying is that the very same God that he's talking about in Isaiah chapter 40 is the very same God who hundreds and hundreds of years later would come himself in the flesh. God himself come down as a baby, Jesus Christ. And Jesus would live a perfect life, free from the selfish ambition of disobedience to God. He was perfect. And he lived with his people, and he taught them how to have a relationship with God. And he healed people just by saying words to them. And he mended relationships. But there came a day where God himself laid himself down on a cross. And he was beaten, and he died. He actually died. And he died because we needed it. God himself came in the flesh and lived among us and sacrificed himself because we needed it. What do you hear when you hear that story? It's a very simple truth that God loves you. And we experience that on the cross. And that's what begins to quiet that small voice inside of us that says, God can't see me, or God can't hear me, or God doesn't understand, God doesn't love me. When we look at the cross of Jesus Christ, we're convinced over and over and over again that God actually loves me. That he truly cares about me. And we see the cross of Jesus. We see God sacrificing himself because we needed it. And we come to believe and understand that God cares about us. That he actually, truly loves us. God loves you. And he cares about me. And when we look at Isaiah 40, that's Isaiah's goal. He lifts God up as everlasting so these people will understand that the God who's provided for them in the past and who will provide for them in the future is present in their life. And he says the Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. 
And he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. And even you shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. What does it mean to wait for the Lord? I think waiting for the Lord really comes down to trust. It's trusting in the moment of the cross of Jesus Christ. Waiting for the Lord means that we trust that what happened on the cross actually happened, and that convinces us that God actually cares about us. It convinces us that God actually cares. And this truth that God is the everlasting God stretches throughout all eternity to show us that the God who cared about us then cares about us now. That's what Isaiah is trying to get us to understand, is that the very same God who breathed this world into existence is the very same God who would make an unknown people famous just by providing for them. And that God is the very same God who would hold back the Red Sea so they could walk on dry land. And the God who did that is the very same God who would tear down the walls of Jericho and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And that God is the very same God who would encourage his people when they were discouraged as they were sent off into exile because of their disobedience. And that God is the very same God that as you get to the end of the Old Testament, there are 400 years of silence from him. And these people felt like God stopped caring. They felt like God couldn't see them. They felt like God couldn't hear them. But little did they know that the very same God who created the world, and the very same God who had provided for them for hundreds and hundreds of years, will continue to provide for them because he is orchestrating the perfect moment in history for him to step into the world. And he would come and he would live and there would be a moment where he would die. The same God who provided them was providing now. And he sacrificed himself because we needed it. And the very same God who sacrificed himself is the very same God who rose from the dead three days later, conquering sin, conquering death forever. And that God is the very same God who would teach Peter and who blinded Saul. And that God is the very same God who would inspire John and all the writers of the New Testament to put together these words that would teach us the character of our God. And that God is the very same God who is with you at the moment of your salvation. And that God is the very same God that we're singing about, we're worshiping, and we're talking about this morning. That's why we have hope. Because the Lord is the everlasting God. And the same God that we watch provide in the Bible is the same God who sacrificed himself for us, is the same God that we know through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And if you're a Christian, what that means is that our trust is there. We lean into that. We look at the cross of Christ and it convinces us over and over and over again that God actually loves us. 
And when we wait on the Lord, we trust in the fact that the Lord is everlasting, that if he loved me then, he loves me now. And for a Christian, what that means is that because the cross happened, if these circumstances that I'm looking at never change, I still know that God loves me. If you're not a Christian, I hope you can start to understand why you've watched people who are Christians go through things that are horrible, yet they somehow seem to be able to make it. It's because they know that the cross of Christ is true. And then on that moment, as they stare at the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, they understand, they're convinced, and they believe that Jesus cares about them. And even though the circumstances try to convince me of other things, even though though the circumstances convince me that God can't see me and God can't hear me and God doesn't care, I know that he does because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And my trust goes there. You know, I, I used to be able to trust Skittles. Skittles are a special brand of candy that I like to call handful candy. Handful candy is candy that is designed to be eaten in a handful. Skittles, there's five different flavors. And ever since I was a kid, I always just know them by the color. You know, there's purple, yellow, orange, yellow, and green. And these flavors, they're not really individual flavors to me. Each one tastes different, but because Skittles is a handful of candy, you just plunge your hand in, you take a handful, and you throw them all in your mouth at once. And when you do that, you don't experience these individual flavors, but you experience a brand new flavor. It's the flavor of the Skittles handful. They all start to mix and mingle together, and you're experiencing something great. And I can always trust that flavor until recently. The green Skittle underwent some changes. Recently, they decided that the green Skittle, which has been traditionally flavored lime, they should change it forever to be green apple. This is a true abomination. And it's not, it's not a bad thing just because now I have to pick up a bag of Skittles and pick out all the green ones because I don't like green apple. What it means is that the Skittles will never be the same. The handful that I used to be able to experience, I cannot experience it any longer. It's gone. The very character of the flavor of the Skittles handful is different. And sometimes we convince ourselves that this is true of our God. That as the circumstances around me start to change, And as I get uncomfortable, as the colors shift in my life and the flavors start to switch, sometimes I let that convince me that God is different. That because my circumstances are falling apart, that God isn't who I thought he was. That I can't trust him anymore. And that because the colors are shifting in my life, the flavors of God are changing. And his very character is different now. But the truth of what Isaiah is saying in chapter 40 is that our God is everlasting. His flavors never change. 
His lime will never become green apple. God will always stay the same. His character is consistent. And the truth is that as much as they try to convince us otherwise, our circumstances do not change God's character. That's the truth. That even if the child never gets better, even if my parents never talk to me face to face ever again, Even if my family falls apart, even if my plans break to pieces, even if I have to walk everywhere for the rest of my life, if everything falls apart, she never calls me back. I never get in. I keep trying, but it never happens for me. Even if the circumstances never change, I know that God cares about me. Because I look at the cross of Jesus Christ, the moment in history where God laid himself down and he died because we needed it. And even though the circumstances might shift, our God never does. And his flavors stay consistent, his character stays the same, and we place our trust in that. And what Isaiah says is that they who trust in that, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In short, what Isaiah is saying is that those who lean in to that everlasting God, those who trust in that everlasting God who sacrificed himself for us, if we will do that, we will be astonished at how God will carry us through. Isaiah doesn't say that if we wait for the Lord, eventually our circumstances will change. He doesn't promise us that. But he promises us that if we will wait for the Lord, if we will place our trust in him, we will be shocked at how God is going to carry us through our life. And we look to the cross of Jesus, becoming ever convinced that our circumstances do not change God's character. But his consistency builds a trust in us that shocks us at how he carries us through. Father God, Lord, convince us of that. Plant the truth of the cross so deep in our hearts that that is the voice that speaks when the circumstances start to fall apart. Do not let us run to ourselves that would say, my way is hidden from from the Lord. My right is disregarded by my God. God can't see me. God can't hear me. God doesn't even care. But let the cross of Jesus rise above that and speak louder, screaming that you love us and you care about us. And Lord, as we place our trust in you, we take the next step, being sustained by your love. Even if our circumstances never change, we know that you love us. God, we're overwhelmed with gratitude when we actually stop and think about that moment. That you laid yourself down for people who didn't even want it yet. We didn't even know we needed it.
that because you loved us, you sacrificed yourself for us. God, convince us of that truth. Plant it deep and let that speak to us. Father, we thank you for your sacrifice and sending your son and for making it known through your spirit. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.